The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast. Dr. Taz. Your good health journey starts now. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness. On every episode of the show, we will uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you are meant to be. Joining me today is what I'm going to call a wealth of knowledge. Joining me today is Dr. Russell Jaffe. Dr. Jaffe has more than 40 years of experience contributing to molecular biology and clinical diagnostics. His focus is on functional predictive tests and procedures designed to improve the precision of diagnosis and treatment outcomes, and he's authored nearly 100 articles on this topic. He's board certified in clinical pathology and in chemical pathology, and he's widely published and sought to explain these complex subjects to any audience, even us guys. Dr. Jaffe is also founder and chairman of the ELISA Act Biotechnologies and MA, I'm probably saying this wrong, MAGIQE Biotherapeutics. You can correct me, Dr. Jaffe, because I'm sure I blundered that one, but welcome to the show. No problem. Well, thanks for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and you have a very interesting background. Just tell us a little bit about your story and how, I mean, you're an MD like me, but but you made quite the transition from conventional medicine at the NIH, which is where you were, to where you are today. Tell us a little bit about that. I think that's fascinating. Sure, exactly right. So I'm an MD-PhD from Boston University Medical Center. I did internal medicine, and then I, quote, matriculated with the public health service, ended up on the permanent senior staff of NIH, and I came as a skeptic to Mm -hmm. debunk acupuncture and ended up doing a seven-year apprenticeship with Queen Wu and then taught the first program that was accepted for certification and licensure in medical acupuncture. Um, Then I moved on to uh, challenge Ayurvedic medicine, and I found Dr. Ramamurti Mishra, who wrote the textbook of yoga (laughs) psychology, and commentary on Patanjali Sutras, etc., and I had five years with him. And then I met a Cambodian Buddhist who was 80-plus years of age, had 30-plus years with him, and more or less his first comment to me was, are you ready to get started? Now, at that point, I'm on the permanent senior staff of NIH, and most people treated me with some, quote, respect. Mm-hmm. And he said three times, he said three times, it was a very neutral voice. Are you ready to get started? And the first time my little ego reared up and wanted to tell him who I was, which he knew, by the way. Mm -hmm. The second time, not so strong. The third time I realized if I would have this, quote, afflictive response to such a simple question, are you ready to get started? Yes or no? (laughs) You don't need to have drama around. Okay. So having lived with him for the better part of his last three decades. He died at 110. Wow. It was a privilege to uh, do what I do now, which is speed the transition from what I would call sick care. Academic medicine does a pretty good job of patching up people when they're uh, sick and, and have had a catastrophe. The question is, how do you promote health so that we don't get sick regardless of our age and in harmony with our nature, our environment, and our situation? That's what I do. That is fascinating. What a great story. I love it. I went to debunk acupuncture and Ayurveda and ended up fully, fully embracing it. Well, talk to us yes. a little bit then about, you know, what happened? I'm curious, what happened for you next? Did you start clinical practice from the NIH or did you jump into the world no, of research? No, no, or? no. I've always had the privilege. I've always had the privilege of being, quote, on the academic side. So when okay. I left 
NIH. I consulted for a few years. I consulted to California. I did the first report on indoor environmental quality with solutions to what is now called sick building syndrome. Mm -hmm. That was for the first Jerry Brown administration. And then I helped get uh, Heptachlor out of the island of Oahu for George Ariyoshi. Uh, and, and, and then opened what today is the gold standard functional immunology lab. We do lymphocyte white blood cell response mm -hmm. assays. They're called LRA. We have a novel method. We have a lot of precision. We have a lot of data outcome studies. We have all the things that you would offer if you thought you had the science on your side. And for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, we're here. Amazing. I love it. Well, a lot of the work you've done um, is really linking together the emerging field of epigenetics and how our lifestyle impacts genetic expression. Talk to us a little bit about that. Explain that concept to my listeners. They may not have heard that word before. So uh, break that down for them and why that is important. Right. So most people have a concept of genetics. It's DNA. It's quote a blueprint, although mm -hmm. that's a misunderstanding. Epigenetics is everything that's not genetics. Epigenetics translates into lifestyle. Epigenetics includes what you eat and drink, think and do, eat, drink, think, do. And by the choices you make, the habits of daily living, that determines your short and long-term quality of survival. We call this all-cause morbidity mortality. And mm -hmm. after screening over 100,000 potential lab tests, we identified eight, just eight, that cover all of epigenetics, all of the 92% of your lifetime health and quality that you influence by choice and habits. 8% you can blame mom and dad for, but only 8%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's it. We don't have an excuse. You heard that. Only 8% you can blame mom and dad. The rest we can influence, which is so powerful, and by that, the way, guys. And that's, that... not an, and that's not an opinion. That's a consensus from NIH 1973, reaffirmed in 1986, reaffirmed in 2000. So we have more or less academic scientific consensus that we spend most of our resources treating people after they fall into the, quote, river of disease, and we spend too little time and attention and resource preventing them from falling into the river of disease or pulling them out more quickly if they do fall in acutely. What's the block then when, we, when I didn't realize going all the way back to 1970 that this has been established that, and I've been saying this for a really long time, that we have the power, we have oh, the power sure. to change no, no, our DNA. We have, Don, no, yeah. no, this goes back to Don Fredrickson and uh, Artemis Simopoulos, who you know is particularly well known for the Greek Mediterranean diet and the virtues mm -hmm. thereof. Um, but yes, this goes back decades and has been reaffirmed several times. So this is not, quote, an opinion anymore. This is more or less the consensus of the best and brightest, if you think that NIH has the best and brightest, and I'd like to think they do. Mm -hmm. Why do people then continue to show up in my office or uh, within the community and say, well, I have the gene for X, Y, and Z, therefore I'm going to do A, B, and C. I'm going to go uh, get a radical mastectomy. I'm going to, you know, have my uterus removed. I'm going to go ahead and do all these different things. Why is that still such a part of the fabric of the medical conversation? 
Well, it still takes about 30 years from the time you reconfirm something at the bench in the laboratory mm-hmm. until it gets into the, quote, clinic. Oh my so you and I would like to speed that transition because information is doubling, scientific and medical information is doubling every four years or less. Mm-hmm. So we're way behind in terms of taking what we know and applying it in the average clinic. Now, if you're an integrative, holistic, and functional physician, if you go back to the American Holistic Medical Association of the late right. 70s that C. Norman Sheely and mm-hmm. other people, including myself, helped found, um, there really is a cadre, a group who has standards of practice uh, that are fun- functionally based, that are focused on primary, proactive, predictive, personalized prevention practices. Mm-hmm. And consumers, consumers are beating a path to their doors. Now, yes. medical curricula, the 8,000 hours of training you have to become an MD or a DO or an ND in this country, um, have very little of the functional, of the integrative, of the holistic information. It's, it's, well, it's a commentary. There's a history. You can go back 100 years to a certain report uh, that uh, basically... Uh, changed medical education from the art and mentoring of young physicians into the academic medical indoctrination Mm. of physicians with a Descartian reductionist mechanistic point of view, if you'll let me wax philosophical. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it's taking the soul out of medicine, and I love what I do, but I watch my colleagues suffer in in painful silence. So it'll change, but that 30 years is a long time to wait. But I want to put the power back into the patient's hand or the listener's hand, and you talk a lot about predictive biomarkers for lifetime health. So while we struggle with this medical system and wait for it to crash or the rest of us try to advocate for something different, what can the consumer, the patient, the listener do? What should they be thinking about when you say rethink your health? Think about these eight predictive biomarkers. What do you mean and what have you seen? Right. So if you want, I'll list the eight biomarkers and make a phrase or two about what they cover. Yeah, let's jump in. And then I'll add a certain nuance, which is your best outcome goal value as opposed to your lab range. So there are eight of these predictive biomarkers. The first one is fairly familiar to many people. It's hemoglobin A1C. It's the measure of average sugar stuck onto protein. It goes back to the 1960s when Paul Gallup uh, develop the hemoglobin A1C assay, um, and the best outcome goal value is less than 5%. So we know that if you have less than 5% hemoglobin A1C, mm-hmm. you have a 99% chance of living 10 years, whether you're 19, 49, or 99. Hmm. And what if you have a hemoglobin A1C that's more typical, pre- or, or diabetic hemoglobin A1C? Well, now you might have a 20% chance or less of living 10 years or more. Well, I am glad to tell you that my most recent hemoglobin A1Cs, and I do them every six months, was mm-hmm. 4.5%. Awesome. Now, the second, the second of these predictive biomarkers, the ones you can influence by daily living, The second is also fairly familiar. It's the high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. HSCRP is the acronym, sometimes called cardiac or specific CRP. And the goal value is less than 0.5. 
So you don't want your liver producing a protein that says, help is on the way. We're going to recruit immune and neurohormonal signals to come to your aid. That's what the C-reactive protein is all about. You Mm -hmm. want your HSCRP less than 0.5. And you get there mostly through diet and supplements, some through moving and thinking. Now, the third, also fairly familiar, is homocysteine. That's an amino acid. It's kind of like methionine. You want your methionine up and your homocysteine down. You want your homocysteine less than six, according to Kilmo McCulley and others. And this is, again, decades of research and hundreds and maybe thousands of articles on why you want enough sulfur sources to keep your methionine up and your methylation robust but balanced, while at the same time having the ability to detoxify and keep your homocysteine low. The, thir- the fourth is the LRA, the lymphocyte response assay. This is the test of immune tolerance or intolerance. It's a cell culture, um, and it has high precision and many outcome studies showing that in just six months of best efforts, you can regain years to decades of quality life and feel and function better within a few months. The fifth is a self-test. This is the test of how much acid is in your urine after rest. Because it turns out if you rest for six or more hours, now you can go to the bathroom, you just can't go to the gym or the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But if you have six hours of rest, the urine that comes out next has equilibrated with the cells that line the bladder. And so it's a non-invasive measure of metabolic acidosis or magnesium sufficiency. Because when you have enough magnesium, you're on the alkaline, healthier, resilient side. Your body can repair and defend you. On the other hand, when you lack magnesium, your ATP doesn't work. That's the currency of biology. It's called ATP. You want your ATP to work, but you need one molecule of magnesium for every ATP molecule. And Mm -hmm. magnesium protects essential fats in transit, and it's nature's calcium channel blocker, and it does many things, but it's the forgotten electrolyte. And we remind people about how much they need based on their first morning urine pH because the goal value is 6.5 to 7.5. And it's a logarithmic scale. So even a small decrease below 6.5 is a big deficit in magnesium at the cellular essential level. The next is vitamin D. Vitamin, it's called vitamin D, but it's really a neurohormone. It does have to do with calcium, but it really has to do with regulating cell growth. So you want your vitamin D to be 50 to 80. This is the 25-hydroxy-D, the 25-OH-D. And you want to supplement with nature's form of D, cholecalciferol. You also want vitamin D from going out in the sun. But it's very hard to get enough vitamin D from unless, you're, unless you get to bathe in, in Tel Aviv as a lifeguard mm-hmm. or with minimal clothes on. It's hard to get enough vitamin D through the sun. Dr. Michael Hollick points out that 40 million people don't absorb vitamin D from their intestines very well, so it needs to be taken either in a mycelized soft gel or in a drop that you put under your tongue before swallowing. Now we've gone through um, six. There's two more, just two more. You guys still with us? Hopefully hopefully everybody out there is still with us and taking notes. Uh, I'm going to recap them real quickly. Yeah, hopefully they're taking notes and they can come back and re-listen to this podcast. There we go. I'm talking too fast, but I'm trying Yeah, to, that, this I'm is great. I'm, no, this is great. What's number so seven? The omega-3 index, yes, 
That's the omega-3 index. That's the ratio of different essential fats. You need both omega-3 and omega-6. But in America, we tend to get too much omega-6 and too little omega-3. So the omega-3 you mostly get through mycelized soft gels of fish oils distilled under nitrogen and then made into tiny droplets, mycelized, so the uptake is enhanced. And you want your omega-3 index to be more than 8%. And I'm glad to tell you that Bill Harris himself called me to tell me that my omega-3 index was 13.3%. There you go. And I said, well, Bill, is that... Uh, he said, congratulations, you're our poster child. I said, good, but uh, is, is 10 better than 8? Is 12 better than 10? Is 13 better than 8? He says more studies are needed because he's an academic scientist like ourselves. Okay, so then the last one is relatively unusual. It's a urine spot test. It's 8-oxoguanine. It measures the oxidative stress in the nucleus and the DNA. And so it is a very important additional and completing to the suite of epigenetic measurements of these predictive biomarker tests. And you want a healthy level of less than five nanograms per milligram creatinine. So you can just take a spot urine and and based on the amount of creatinine, you correct the value and it should be less than five nanograms per milligram creatinine. These eight tests determine the quality of your life today, how you feel and function, They also determine your probability of living 10 or more years. As long as you interpret your own value to the goal value and compare yourself there and take action, if you're at the goal value, celebrate. If you're not at the goal value, we have very specific lifestyle suggestions of how to get to the goal value in just a matter of months. And then you can come back in three to six months and retest. Well, I want to jump into that. But before I do, I want to brag because I have on our routine testing, I have seven of your eight markers mm-hmm. that I'm testing on every patient every Bravo. time every time they come in. But I don't Bravo. have the LRA. Is that but, hard to but, get? I need to get the LRA. So. No, no, the LRA is not hard to get. And it does add a big piece because it's immune tolerance and whether you want the foods you eat to be those you can digest, assimilate, take up and utilize and eliminate without immune burden. The LRA test tells you where you have broken tolerance and where you have delayed hypersensitivities that are like running a marathon by your immune system every day. So seven out of eight is is worthy of congratulations. Adding the LRA will help a lot. We'll get you the details, you know, as requested. Perfect. Yeah, that's just um, me being obnoxious, and, guys. And Sorry, but you, anyhow, let's figure have, out. But do you have? Let's but do you have the goal values? Because. Most often, colleagues get these tests, but then they look at the lab range and say, well, you're inside or not inside the lab range. I'm telling you there's a lot of unwell people inside the lab range. So we rethought the whole issue of lab interpretation based on best outcome goal values. And then we had very high standards. You had to have done the studies for long enough to have 10-plus year survival data, all-cause morbidity mortality data, on every ethnic group on every socioeconomic group, and on every geographic region of the planet. So these eight tests have been really validated, and when you add the goal value to the interpretation, you add years to life and life to years. Well, this is amazing uh, information. I think whether you're a practitioner or you're listening or you're trying to help somebody, it's just a very, very clean, clear way 
to assess your health and to understand where you stand. Now, what do you do? What is the best way to achieve the right ranges of these biomarkers? Where would you take the listener next? That maybe they're saying, oh my gosh, my CRP was three. My A1C was an eight the last time I checked it. Where would you take them next? Well, let's take them in, in, in each order. The hemoglobin A1C, what I say by way of headline, is you're sweet enough as you are, you don't need to add sugar to your diet. So come to my house, you'll see that things are appetizing and some of them savory and some of them sweet because we use fruit and things in cooking. But a friend came by recently and I offered coffee and she said, do you have sugar? And I realized the only sugar I had was hardened brown sugar from some years ago that we hadn't used in quite some time. So you're sweet enough as you are, you don't need to add sugar to your diet. That will dramatically improve your hemoglobin A1C in just three or more months. Your fructosamine will improve in just one month. So that's number one. Number two, HSCRP. It's a repair deficit cry for help. We call it inflammation in pathology, but in medicine and physiology, it's really repair deficit. So you enhance the repairability by doing a C-cleanse and including polyphenolics, specifically quercetin dihydrate and soluble OPC. And we have been using these for the last three decades, the synergy of fully reduced, fully buffered L-ascorbate, nature's vitamin C with minerals, plus the polyphenolics that make synergy and innate immune function repair ability, defensibility becomes more robust. Perfect. Um, then you get you move on to the LRA. You substitute the foods to which your immune system is intolerant. You include a wide variety of foods in a wide variety of ways, including what I will call um, beneficial. Some will call them therapeutic meals, such as a curry. And here I'm mentioning curcumin and turmeric, which when you cook them with fresh ground black pepper into a curry becomes a healing food, a traditional healing food. When you take a supplement of turmeric or curcumin, plus or minus piperine, plus or minus oil, you get a tiny, tiny fraction because of the way it's processed and more processing almost always, almost always, more processing leads to less nutrition, less value, uh, but you know, easier marketing, if you will. Moving on, beyond yes. the foods and chemicals to which your immune system is burdened, the next is making sure that you have enough magnesium plus choline citrate. See, the secret sauce here is called choline citrate, and you take a teaspoon of choline citrate in the water or beverage of your choice. You can have this along with vitamin C if you want, or in any broth or herbal beverage if you want, and you take two capsules of Mag Plus Guard, which is ionized magnesium. You don't want chelated magnesium. You want an available form of magnesium like any of the citrates, fumarates, malates, glycinates, aspartates, uh, ascorbates. These are particularly good. So you have the combination of magnesium and choline citrate that forms a tiny little droplet that's taken up by neutral pores. This enhances the uptake. This makes your cardiovascular system calmer. Because while calcium says, go, 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 magnesium says, ah, chill, relax. Now, we need both. You want a balance of calcium and magnesium. But in our society, we get generally 
far too much calcium and far too little magnesium. And you know how much magnesium you need based on that urine pH. If it's less than 6.5, you go from two to three or four doses a day of the magnesium plus choline citrate until you bring that urine pH back into the healthy 6.5 to 7.5 range, and then you have just two doses a day for maintenance. The next is vitamin D. You want to be 50 to 80. We recommend now starting with a combination of D3 and K2 plus uh, 2-beta-coxetine to enhance bone morphogenic protein uh, activity to make new bone over time. Start with that. Mm-hmm. Measure the 25-hydroxy-D. It wants to be 50 to 80 in healthy people and add drops of cholecalciferol of D3 that you drop under the tongue because the mucosa under the tongue absorbs them quickly. It goes to the brain before the body, and then you swallow. Gotcha. So you want your D3 to be, you want your D3 to be in the 50 to 80 range, but you also want to have a combination to start with of D3 and K2, those preferred forms of synergistic minerals that have to do with building the binding specialized amino acid. This is called dicarboxyglutamic acid. You see, I really am a biochemist. Dicarboxyglue is the short name of the calcium binding protein that's necessary to rebuild new bone. Well, your liver makes the precursor, and the uh, osteoblasts, the cells that build new bone, know how to use it. So give them the energetics that they need, including the magnesium, including the uh, antioxidants like ascorbate and polyphenolics, and go to town building new bone. And my colleague Susan Brown and I have shown that people who follow this approach by, uh, for just two years, by classic DEXA, D-E-X-A measurement, they built between 2 and 12% new bone. Unprecedented. That's amazing. Most of the therapies so today... Most of the therapies today, as you know, Dr. Taz, are to to slow the decline, to slow the loss, to slow the osteopenia into osteoporosis. We're talking about building new bone within just two years by following this alkaline way joy of living. Now, the next is the omega-3 index. Dr. Jaffe, let's do maybe one or two more and then... Sure. Um, very just quickly. in the interest of time, very, let's very do maybe quickly. one or two more. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very quickly. Very quickly. In regard to the omega three index, you want uh, fish oils that have been distilled under nitrogen to get some toxins out and to preserve these delicate fats. And you want more than eight percent by omega three index. And you want your DNA to not be oxidized. You want your DNA to be happy and translatable into a healthy life. And by the way. The habits of daily living, the amount of antioxidants, the reduction in toxin exposure, dramatically affect how at risk your DNA is, and you want your uh, 8-oxyl-guanine to be less than 5 nanograms per milligram creatinine. So thanks for listening uh, to, to, to that, and hopefully this will open colleagues, health coaches, and consumers' eyes to the opportunity to take charge of their health, to know where they're strong, and to celebrate to know where they're at risk and what to do about it. And that's what, over the last three to four decades, we've dedicated our science and our practice to. Well, I love it. I 
and the practice merge Ayurveda with Chinese medicine, with functional medicine, with conventional medicine, but often, you know, feel that there's that gap. Where's the science to stand up to my colleagues and to stand up to people and say that, hey, this is working. This is really the way it needs to be. And we've had so much success in clinic and in practice with with everyone. And we really know it's the future. We know it's the future of medicine, as, as many of you guys before me have known as well. You've given the listeners so much information. You've given them so much information that they can take back to their providers and practitioners, ways for them to track their numbers and their biomarkers of health. If you had to leave them with one last thing, one thing that they could do to improve their lives, what would you tell them? I would suggest live in the moment, knowing that breath is your refuge. So Mm. practice relaxation response or active meditation or prayerfulness 15, 20 minutes a day. Stretch 15, 20 minutes a day. Live and be well by choice. Embrace life with gratitude and you will get many benefits personally, in relationship, and in the environment you do. Wow. It continues to amaze me, Dr. Jaffe. We have, and you listeners, I bet, are agreeing with me. We have so many different types of experts come on the show talking about, you know, a range of topics. But it always comes Mm. back to that. It always comes back to your breath, to your life, to your happiness Mm -hmm. quotient, to how you manage stress. And so as we all spin and dig into the details of everything, guys, it really, really continues to come back to that. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Dr. Jaffe, thank you for taking the time out to, to really educate us all. If people, or even I, wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yes, drrusselljaffe.com. That's a good access point to many different um, options that people will have. Drrusselljaffe.com is a website. uh, And from there you can get uh, much information and hopefully useful uh, to each of you as individuals. And know that Facebook Live, 2.30 East Coast time every Tuesday, either Melissa Crispell or I are giving current information, you know, news you need to know and solutions you can use today. Fantastic. So you guys tune into that as well. And for everybody else out there, Thank you for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, which is now on Spotify as well. And if you have questions about today's show, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Taz MD. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review and share it with your friends. And Dr. Jaffe, thank you so much. I'm sure I'll bring you on again to dive into another topic very soon. With pleasure. Thank you so much. See everybody next time.